0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Gearhead. My name is Brandon.
1: Hi, I'm Lexi.
0: And today we are talking about the 10 best, or at least my 10 personal best, cars for people that are just getting into the car scene. Maybe it's your first car that you really want to modify and do something with, or you need a daily driver that is also fun to drive. These are uh, not necessarily an end-all, be-all list, but it's just um, 10 examples of vehicles that can kind of get you into the car scene. So, without further ado, we're going to start off with a little bit of an odd one that I don't think anybody is really going to pick. We are starting off with the Buick Park Avenue Ultra. And the reason why I've picked this vehicle to start off the list is because they're... Primarily owned by older, you know, people that usually don't abuse them as much. They have a, they have GM's legendary 3.8 liter V6, which is also supercharged. Now these are big cars; they weigh almost 4,000 pounds, but they make 240 horsepower. The aftermarket for GM 3.8 liter V6 is uh, extremely broad. There's tons of things you can do to this. You can get different pulley sizes for the supercharger, bigger injectors, different intake if you want. All sorts of different things that you can do for these. And they're a big comfy four-door that you can easily daily drive and you can even make into a very cool sleeper. They're not the best looking cars, especially, you know, you're talking about GM from the mid-2000s. Everything was just kind of really broad and round especially from buick but i mean being that it was a buick and the ultra being the top of the line you've got you know power everything heated seats um really nice display system good audio from factory really to make these cars something that is pretty darn quick you're probably going to want to swap the pulley do injectors um obviously doing general maintenance that you need to do put a little bit wider wheels and tires on it and any visual modifications you want to do and you basically have yourself a nice little sleeper that you can daily drive also if you live in a state or area that gets a lot of snow because these cars are pretty heavy and they're front wheel drive they actually have a uh, pretty good um, drivability in the winter as long as you put winter tires on but them being so heavy they're actually really uh, planted and actually can turn pretty well. Moving on, uh, one that isn't so far off the beaten path. We have a Ford Crown Victoria. The reason I put these on the list is because you can get these pretty cheap. The cars on this list are redesigned to be, I would say, $5,000 and under. You can find most of these, if not all of them. So, Crown Victoria. Ford made I'm going to assume hundreds of thousands of these things, like probably over 500,000. There's tons of them. You can find them anywhere from, you know, ex-police vehicles to the civilian ones. I would say the ex-government ones are going to be a lot cheaper, but the civilian ones are going to be a lot nicer. Um, So you can either the Crown Victoria or Mercury's version, which I don't remember the name that Mercury used, but you've got a 4.6 liter V8. Which is, I'm going to say is more reliable than the 5.4. Um, it's a better platform in my opinion. I think the 4.6 from Ford from this era is a much better platform. Um, these suckers are heavy. They're over 4,000 pounds. So if you want to make, you know, if you want to, you know, get these things to scoot down the road more, you're probably going to either have to add some power adders or you're going to have to do, you know, intake, exhaust, injector stuff like that being that they have made so many of these cars you can find these things for you know one two three thousand dollars all day long and they're a big full size four-door you know if you're a younger person you can convince your parents that this is a safe vehicle because it is a bigger sedan rear wheel drive so you can have a ton of fun with that as long as you can get them through your tires to break loose and especially if you live in a snowy state in the winter these will be super fun to drive and also, the visual aftermarket for the Crown Victorias are actually pretty darn good. You can look up some really good, um, really good and clean modified Crown Victorias. And these things are dead set reliable. If any of you guys follow uh, Cletus McFarlane's channel, he runs the Crown Victoria for his uh, racing series he has at Freedom Factory. And I mean, they beat the crap out of these cars, and they just will not die. So this is another great offering if you're more of a Ford person Um, and you don't want to get a Mustang like everybody else. You could go with a Crown Victoria. Uh, Moving on for any of you Honda people out there, really any any Honda Civic from the early 90s all the way up to the mid-2000s, you're going to have tons of aftermarket, fuel efficient. These things are super light and fun to drive. Not too hard to find a manual transmission in one of these. Granted, if you live in the Rust Belt, it's going to be kind of hard to find a clean one, but if you're from down south, these should be pretty easy to find clean. Most of the parts for this thing are be really super cheap. There's tons of aftermarket for these things, and a lot of the stuff is interchangeable. Also, depending on what era of Civic you buy, the engines are super reliable and actually can take boost extremely well without very many modifications. You know... Granted, stock horsepower you're coming at probably a little bit over 100, but with as little weight as these things weigh, super, super fun car to drive. Especially if you can find a two-door hatchback, like a EH hatch or something like that would be super fun to have. Lower these things to the ground, put an exhaust on them beef up the injectors a little bit, put an intake on it. Maybe if you can find a cheap eBay turbo and you know how to do some fabrication, super super fun vehicle. Even if you don't know how to do any super extensive modification, if you can find one of these things for a decent price that is clean, you can still have a ton of fun with uh really almost any generation of Honda Civic from the mid 2000s all the way back into the 90s. Switching it up a little bit more, we're going to go back to GM products for just a second. If you're not a big fan of the styling of a Buick, Park Avenue, I'm not going to blame you. They don't look the best, but you can still get a nice 3,800 supercharged from Pontiac. If you want to go with the Pontiac Grand Prix GTP, the GTPs are the ones that are supercharged. You, I think starting in 1999 and then the body style change in 2005 or four. 240 horsepower out of a 3.8 liter, you know, and you can make that sucker, that supercharger scream really nice. Put an intake on it, swap the pulleys, just like with the Park Avenue. The Grand Prix can come in a two door as well, so it kind of lowers the weight a little bit. Also, like I said, tons of aftermarket with the 3.8, and you can actually make these things sound really nice too if you put the right exhaust on them. Um, as far as pricing for these things, it is not hard to find these suckers for cheap. Um, I actually had a GT, which is the naturally aspirated version that I got for 300 bucks and drove it for two years and had a lot of fun with that vehicle. Super, super fun. Um, if you live in the quote unquote rust belt, obviously watch for parts of the floor and areas of the rear controlling arms kind of watch that area for rust um, rocker panels will probably be gone on most of these northern cars but you know for you know not a lot of money you can have a pretty quick car going back to the uh japanese manufacturers uh the 99 eclipse going all the way through the body style refresh the one from the nineties have the four cylinder, the two liter four cylinder. You know, they make around one hundred and fifty to two hundred and ten. You can find them in a manual. Some are front wheel drive, and some are all wheel drive. It depends on which ones you get. Um, but they're actually a really good looking car super good aftermarket too if you go with the body sound refresh that not a lot of people like because of the visual look you can get a three liter v6 which can give you a little bit more power and a little bit more area for improvement as far as power goes without actually adding a power adder like a turbo or anything like that some of the reliability can be questionable depending on how well it was taken care of and stuff like that <clears throat> also again um, being from the rust belt, I've seen the strut towers on these things rust out. So you gotta just make sure if you live in a state that experiences snow and salt and stuff like that, even on the coast where you get salt water and stuff, just watch for your main structural pieces, you know, like strut towers, front and rear controlling arms, uh, torque boxes, you know, rocker panels. So most of that stuff can be easily fixed with a little bit of, uh, Plastic covering and stuff like that, but another really good option to have. Uh, Another Mitsubishi I want to teach or touch on, which can be risk and run a little bit more expensive depending on the condition where you live. Uh, The 3000 GT. These have the 3 liter V6. They're a little bit heavy. They can weigh anywhere from 3,100 pounds all the way up to almost 4,000 pounds. Uh, They do come in a five-speed manual and a six-speed manual. Depending on which model you get, um, some of the lesser options models you can probably easily easily find for about two to three thousand bucks. Um, I believe some of these come in front wheel drive and some are all wheel drive as well. And if you get the really early '90s ones, they actually had a lot of active aero, which is pretty darn cool. Aftermarket for these cars is pretty broad, but with the Mitsubishi three liter V6, you just kind of have to make sure that all the vacuum lines and stuff aren't dry cracked and stuff like that and uh you know generally watch that it was you know at least decently taken care of. You can have higher mileage on a vehicle and still have a reliable fun car that is going to be able to put you know or still withstand a lot of abuse. So the 3000 GT is another one that would be a good recommendation. Now, for one that is pretty close to my heart, mainly because I have one, the '82 to '92 Camaros and the Firebirds can be roped into this as well. Depending on what area you get, it's gonna have a carbureted five liter, a fuel injected five liter, a carbureted 5.7 liter, a carb or a carbureted or a fuel injected 5.7 liter. Tips with these ones, I would stay away from the Crossfire Fuel Injection ones. I would much rather find one that's carbureted. Um, <clears throat> the RSs that come with the 2.8 V6, they, I mean, that 2.8 is going to put out maybe 150 horsepower. I mean, maybe 120, I think. So I wouldn't really go for any of the RSs that have the V6. I don't really think it's going to be worth a car enthusiast's time to mess with the 2.8. If you do find a clean 2.8, I would say just get a small block out of basically anything. Drop it right in, bolt it up to the 4-speed automatic, or if you're lucky, you can find these in a 5-speed manual. They're a little bit harder to find, but they are out there. Um, And the 3rd gen Camaros are in this weird um time right now where you can find super expensive ones that are like pristine and nice and also the cheaper ones that still run and drive are coming in for a couple thousand bucks you know two three thousand bucks will actually get you a decent one of these depending on where you live biggest things to watch out for these are um a crossfire fuel injection one is gonna have issues with that i would swap it swap it out for the carb for a carburetor um the floor pans on these f body cars from this era like to rust out Um, also the rear fenders behind the door and the rocker panel area does like to rust out because water and whatnot will get caught in some of the body molding so that's another thing to watch out for but uh, the aftermarket for these things, I mean, sky's the limit when you're talking about American muscle cars. And um, as far as, I mean, weak points, uh, not a lot of people like the GM 7.5 rear end just because they say it can't hold a lot of power. Um, but I mean, if you're only making two, three hundred horsepower with a small block, I think you're going to be fine. I would do a couple suspension upgrades with these cars. Um, they're probably going to need it after, you know, being from the eighties and early nineties. Um, also, um, the steering boxes, I know my car, it's got about a hundred thousand miles on it and the steering box is starting to go out. Um, new steering boxes are not cheap. You're talking about five, six, seven hundred bucks for a brand new steering box. You can get a rebuilt one for probably three, two hundred bucks, somewhere in that area. Or if you're really mechanically inclined, you can take it apart, get a rebuild kit for about a hundred bucks, and slap it back in. Um, also, the Astrovan's um, steering box and steering linkage, I think, is considered a quote unquote upgrade. Um, the Astros aren't going to have the fast steering ratio that these have, but it's considered, I guess the linkage is considered to be more beefy. So if you want to use these for drag racing, you don't have to worry about that much, but if you want to use them on the track, um, definitely some suspension upgrades, um, you know, the steering box and stuff like that, make sure that's all good. Um, also JEGS and a couple of other companies, Um, Have subframe connectors and because these are a technically a unibody car Essentially, it will you can either have weld-in subframe connectors or bolt-in subframe connectors That will run from the the front subframe all the way back to where the rear controlling arms mount And it helps with a lot of the controlling a lot of the body roll that some of these cars have Uh, Moving on now
1: I actually have a quick question before you move on. Yeah. I understand that you have actually one of those Camaros. Yep. So what kind of issues have you had personally with rebuilding your Camaro?
0: So mine's a little bit of a more, of a more personal case, but we can talk about it. So mine is a 1984 um, Z28. It is black with the, black interior. It used to have black leather seats that I changed out for um, cloth just because the leather seats would get so damn hot in the summer and so freaking cold in the fall that I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. So I swapped the seats out. Um, I got kind of lucky because it was a salvage title. Ty- it was a, well, it wasn't salvage, but it was, it was certified rebuilt by the state of Minnesota um it had a new engine put in it a new mildly built small block from a company in uh, wisconsin and then it had a 700 r4 with a shift kit in it and keep in mind i only paid um 2500 bucks for this car and the engine alone i'm pretty sure it's worth that much um because it's got um, edelbrock heads edelbrock intake comp camps internals uh, we did have to put a new holly carburetor on it because the old one was pretty dirty and starting to leak from the accelerator pump um and like i said the steering box in my car is getting a little worn out it's still completely drivable but you can just tell there's there's a little bit of play in the steering wheel and you know the car is 30 plus years old so it is you know it's gonna happen but um another thing is that like higher highway speeds the car is really vibrating and shaky and you can hear all the plastic so a way to combat that is to get subframe connectors to kind of eliminate some of that vibration and make the chassis more rigid it also helps um, make the car corner more flat um my dash pad is good well i shouldn't say good but it's not my the dash pad of my car isn't cracked yet but it's actually sun warped because of the heat a lot of the dash pads on these third gens third gen f bodies they like to crack and stuff um some of the depending on where you live some of the plastic can kind of start to dry out and crack but I mean, I love that car to death. It is it's it's pretty quick for what it is. It's really fun to carve twisties with because the car is so wide and the center of gravity is so low that it is just so much fun to whip around corners with that thing. And just is a super fun car to drive. I'm never gonna get rid of it, but As far as issues go, yeah, with it being 30-something years old, you have to make sure that, especially if you have the stock um, motor in it, a lot of those small blocks with the crossfire are just not good. They start leaking, burning oil, shit like that. Um, If your small block burns a little bit of oil, I would even call that normal. I think all small blocks are going to burn a little bit of oil no matter what. But you know, a lot of that can be combated with certain additives. Um, that's going to be another episode coming up in the future is um, fuel additives. If you have an older vehicle with high mileage, what additives to use, when to use them, how often, stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of what I have, at least for third gen stuff, or third gen F party cars. Um, does that kind of answer Yeah, question? that answers my question. <laughs> so I want to move on. Yeah. Um, And Lexi can kind of come in on this one too, because this is a car that you had a chance to drive. Um, I had a 96 Celica GT with the 224 cylinder. It was an automatic two-door car, hatchback, red, super fun car. And the reason I liked it so much is it was, it was decently quick um, around town and whatnot. It was super fun to drive, great driving position Super nice looking car. It was very a good nice interior. Car, that's for sure. Yeah, you could, you could, even though it was front wheel drive, you could chuck that thing around a corner, and that back end would step out.
1: But then again, I'm a little more ballsy than you are when it comes to that. Sort yeah, of stuff. I mean,
0: uh, I mean, the one time that you did it, <laughs> coming around that, it was a really tight, um, really tight corner on like this tar road that had a lot of gravel on it still. And Lexi comes around this corner and just whips this car around this corner. And the rear end just slides out from under it. And it it just this really nice drift on like half gravel, half tarmac. That was actually the day we brought home the Camaro driving (laughs) home. You had to drive that car home. But with your experience, you got to drive that car a little bit. What did you like about driving that car?
1: It was just a fun car. I mean, it got me from point A to point B when I did drive it, and I I just liked it. Like it was a good car did for f- a broke college student or broke it, high school student. Did it
0: feel like good and fun to drive? Oh well, yeah, it was not fun. Boring.
1: Um, you know the interiors were a little bit boring, but you have to remember it's a car from the
0: nineties. Yeah.
1: The nineties, early two thousands, so it's not gonna be. Top of the line,
0: and the the redesign after that era of Celica was actually pretty nice. Um, Visually, I don't think a lot of people like the change from the sixth gen to the seventh gen. The only gripe I really
1: had with it was the interior panels were
0: a little cheap on the
1: cheaply made side. I think.
0: Yeah, depending on kind of how the car has been treated its whole life it can start to show age but the uh the generation after the sixth gen they they updated the interior really nice with this really nice white face gauge cluster with orange backlighting it actually does look really cool and the aftermarket for it is uh pretty good too
1: was it aesthetically pleasing
0: i liked it i like (laughs) i actually prefer the gauge cluster from the next um the next step over from ours but i um, prefer the design of the sixth gen. Silica.
1: So, do you like the gauges in your Camaro better, or the gauges in the Silica better? And
0: the sixth gen Silica that we had. Yeah. Um, I like the. Well, I like the ones in the Camaro because it gives you. It's it's what I call a full gauge cluster. It has RPMs, speed, um, volts, fuel, oil pressure, and temperature. Most cars nowadays just have rpm speed volts and fuel and that's it or it's just temperature and just fuel which is i think every car should have a full gauge cluster that shows all four of those vital things but some i know the celica that we had only showed temperature and only showed fuel and then of course rpms and speed but i really liked the design if I remember correctly, the dash, it kind of came up from the center console and it kind of looped around nice and made this nice little curvature and almost kind of separates the driver and passenger. And it, it's definitely more of a driver focused center console because the radio and the HVAC controls face towards you. Um, but that's the reason I like that one so much more. I actually like that interior design more than my Camaro design because the Camaro is literally just a flat sheet of plastic and then another very generic looking front center console. All right. And we're going to move on to the final two here and moving on at what would be number nine, I believe. And again, these are not in any certain order of one's better than the other. These are just 10 that I, you know, Think are a good um, selection of vehicles for a various number of different kinds of car people. So, coming in, we have the Cobalt SS. And this one's kind of a, a fun one because depending on which one and which year you get of the SS, you can have a 2.4 liter naturally aspirated. You can get that in the early SSs or the um, later sports. They come with a five-speed manual, I think, only. Don't quote me on that. They might come with an auto, but I think most of the SSs are manual. So you can get a 2.4-liter naturally aspirated. Then in some of the later ones, you could get a 2-liter supercharged four-cylinder. And then the ones later after that, you could get a 2-liter turbocharged. So the 2-liter turbo makes 260 the um, 2.4 um, naturally aspirated, I think, makes 100. No, it makes 180 horsepower, or something like that. It's in the high 100s, the low 200s. But um, the true SSs are pretty cool. They have uh, no lift shift. Um, I know the Sport and the SSs have active suspension, like electronically controlled suspension um these suckers are pretty quick you can upgrade the turbos and intakes and stuff like that you know switch the pulleys out or if you have an na1 you can do different injectors and different intake and stuff like that the the turbo two liters are going to be your fastest ones they will keep up with a lot of uh, modern um, vehicles and you'd be actually if you could find one and your friends don't kind of know what it is, you could probably embarrass them depending on what kind of car they have. So you're talking about, um, for the best one, 260 horsepower, under 3000 pounds. Um, you're still getting really good MPG. Um, I know in my two four, I could average 32 MPGs highway. Um, the aftermarket is pretty broad for these things. um, I know with the 2.4, some of those earlier 2.4s are better, like the the timing chains, and some of these later 2.4s that GM has that I've that I've talked about on other episodes. These more recent 2.4s have timing chain issues. As far as I know, these earlier 2.4 liters do not have as much timing chain issues. Um, With the 2 liters, I know the. The intercooler water pump can usually fail, and you'll have an issue where the car doesn't make much boost, um, it doesn't make much power, and that's usually because the intercooler isn't actually doing anything, and most people won't actually know because the car won't throw an engine code for it. So some of the first things you want to do is checking that intercooler water pump. It's a little electric pump that lives down in the front bumper, I believe. Um, but you can find, you know, you can find an SS turbo for it's probably gonna run you closer to five five, four, and three thousand. Um, I got my NA24 for cheap because it was actually owned by um, a lady that we're now friends with. Um, but that was a nice 2.4 liter four cylinder. You know, Did you say a black. lady that
1: we're now friends with or a lady that we're not friends with?
0: We're now friends with.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah. I just didn't catch that.
0: Yeah, no, we're friends with her. She's a good friend of ours. And she actually bought it as a bank repossession. And she got it for cheap, like, um, good, like, 10 years ago. And then I got it for even cheaper. And it was still clean. It had 142,000 miles. It wasn't really rusty at all. And I live in Minnesota. So that's a big surprise. It was pretty darn clean. It ran and drove really nice, you know, no warning lights or anything like that. And it was actually a really fun car to learn uh, stick in. It was the first car that I actually learned stick in. So that was really fun. And it was pretty quick. Um, the 2.4, obviously, it's not going to be the fastest. But it was it was a decently quick little car, and it was super fun to drive. Um, so really well-planted because you get the big 17-inch uh, wheels that are 8 inches wide. And you get a pretty big tire with the SS and the sports the only difference between uh, mine was a 2008 and the only difference with the sport and the ss is that the sport has the 2.4 liter and it has the active suspension but you do not get no lift shift um and obviously you don't have that two liter turbo and i think the 08s make 210 horsepower i want to say so they're not super underpowered but they're definitely not the most ideal ones. So coming in and the last one is gonna be a little bit of a Hail Mary, but I wanted to put it in because it's one of my favorite cars that you could still kind of find for cheap is the Pontiac Firebird. And I want to get rid of the notion that these things catch fire often. That is not the case. The whole engine fire scenario was actually limited to a very limited number of maybe a thousand cars. And it was very early in the production for the Fiero. Um, But these are super fun cars to drive. Even the four-cylinder ones, these are like driving little go-karts. You can either get the 2.5-liter Iron Duke, which is pretty darn reliable but makes like 80 horsepower. Or the more desirable one, of course, is the 2.8 V6 that makes 120 horsepower, which... Yes, it's not a lot of horsepower, but you got to remember these cars are very light and have a very short wheelbase. They are super fun if you do short autocross stuff or you live in a smaller town or a, or even a bigger city that, you know, has narrow roads and stuff like that. Super fun to throw around. So would this on back be a good roads. sprint
1: car then?
0: What do you mean my sprint car? Like
1: a sprint car?
0: like time attack? Yeah. Um you're going to have to do some pretty large modifications because the to make way these you were talking quick.
1: about it it almost sounded like it would be a good sprint car. If you so had I, I would throw that in
0: there. If you could get some power behind that 2.8, you know, God, I don't even know what you could do with a 2.8. The problem is with the 2.8 and even the Iron Duke, there's not really any aftermarket help. Usually you're doing an engine swap for a 3.8 liter V6 GM or a freaking LT4 out of a out of an uh, Impala SS. Um, something like that is going to be the only way you're going to make these cars really quick. But if you want a fun car that you can daily drive and... Parts are not too hard to find because GM likes to share everything with everyone and you want something unique. I would definitely go for one of these, um, for an honorable mention. I also want to put the Impala SS. Um, that's kind of like the Buick, um, Park Avenue ultra, except that's got a 5.3 liter aluminum, uh, LT4 V8 front wheel drive, in a very unassuming, uh, large four-door, which granted that era of Impala is extremely boring to look at, but that is like, um, like the quintessential like sleeper in my eyes, anyway. Um, and a lot of the cars with the GM 3.8, as long as you get the Series Two. V six, you know, you're looking at 220 horsepower, no matter what application it's in. Usually, so those are also a good platform to look for. Um, Alexi, any closing thoughts here that you have, or something you want? Yeah, to Yeah, I
1: wanted to bring up one thing, and sure. I'm kind of surprised you haven't brought it up. But why haven't you mentioned the Hyundai Veloster?
0: Because well,
1: the, I mean, those can be. Pretty fast little car.
0: They are, but they're not cheap yet. I mean, some of the cheapest ones I've seen are like five, six thousand bucks. Well, right. For ones with issues. But no, the Veloster is a good example of a modern. Cheaper, fun car. I mean, most of them are manual. You have either a two four naturally aspirated. Some of them are all one six turbo stuff like that. Those are super fun to sure, drive. Sure,
1: but it's a little bit more obscure. I mean, it's not something that everybody has.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit more obscure. It's a little bit more expensive if you if you have the money to spend. Um, also with Hyundai having all these engine recalls right now it's a little bit iffy on which ones to buy if you can get one that's already had the recall done you might be in the clear um but if you haven't had one going through all that you know problem solving nonsense is going to be a little bit of an issue but most of the cars on this list you can find for under it shouldn't really be a problem finding for under five thousand bucks i mean you're like a grand like a park avenue ultra Two thousand bucks for a decent one, GTP, three thousand bucks for a really nice one, uh, Honda Civic, dozens of them for fifteen hundred bucks, two thousand bucks. Crown Victoria, two grand, three grand will get you a really nice one. Even the Camaros, you can find like mine was twenty five hundred bucks. I've seen several of them for, you know, two, two, three thousand bucks with the V8s, um, but they're going to start going up in value, and that's the issue. Um, the Cobalt SS, those are gonna get, you know, that's like five, six thousand for a nice one. You find a used one with higher mileage, you're looking at probably four thousand for a half decent one with maybe two hundred thousand on them and a Fiero you can find anywhere from like a thousand bucks to a really nice one will be four thousand bucks so that's kind of where the the pricing comes in for these and I wanted to find vehicles that in even in the terrible used car market right now are still cheap are still fun are pretty easy to work on if you have a little bit of mechanical knowledge and are not gonna you know, cause you a whole ton of issues. Cause for some people, this might be their only car. It might be their first car. Maybe it's their second fun car, something like that, that they don't want to spend a whole crap ton of money on. So that's where the, um, that's where the cars in this list, the criteria I kind of had. And like I said before, this is not an end all be all list. Um, any suggestions or things you want to add? I'd love to s- you know, see in the comment section on my Instagram, which you can now find at B-Dogs Garage as it has changed to kind of make everything more uniform. Also, my YouTube channel and TikTok follow the same name at B-Dogs Garage. Um, You can also find Lexi linked on Instagram as well. She does a lot of really nice automotive photography and photography in general And uh, I hope you guys like and follow for the next episode. We will have a couple more coming out soon. So uh, thanks for tuning in and hope that you will listen next time.